Murder Lovers. My name is Mackenzie. And this is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Here we go one more time. Uh, we were just talking about taking walks, guys, and how we should be um, taking some um, self-defense items with us, like pepper spray. <laughs> yes. So, okay. No, this is really important. If you have dogs... I, first of all, I think pepper spray in general is a good idea. Yes. Um, I have both pepper spray and a little hand taser that my brother, who was a former police officer, has assured me will hurt someone. I use them for protection, but I also like the pepper spray is something that I carry on me daytime, nighttime, anytime when I have Navy out walking. Because if another dog tries to attack my dog... I can spray it with pepper spray. Right. Because my dog is small and defenseless. And we had a wolf kind of dog. Actually, we think it might have been like half wolf. Come at us. Like, come at me, bro. But yeah. next time I will have pepper spray. Yeah. Because <laughs> this like, dog was literally biting through its own fence. And I was just like, oh, so shit, what's smart. about to happen? Yes. So, but anyway, I mean, there's also just other lots of reasons that you should carry stuff or just... I think just the mentality of you being proactive about being able to help yourself in any type of situation would go a long way if you're ever confronted with a situation that's not normal. So if you ever have a stranger come up to you or, you know, try to grab you or whatever, you have something in your, you know, on you that you can try and help yourself because, you know... Stranger danger. There is also, so, um, you know that I mention them in every single podcast now, but the Voiceless Podcast. Yeah. They posted something the other day about a safety and self-defense keychain, and it was designed by, the Instagram handle is at official.inmydefense. Okay. So official.inmydefense is all one word. And they make these really cool keychains that have like self-defense things on them. So like it comes with a lanyard and like a little puff or whatever, the one I'm looking at right now. It has like a lanyard, the little black puff, and then this one has a personal alarm, a flashlight, a window smasher, a seatbelt cutter, a door opener, and a cute pom-pom, she said. (laughs) But like there's some that you can get that have like, they're almost like a brass knuckle type thing but they have like little shank things on them oh like the ones that look like kitties like the little like the yes, ears the ears yeah. of the kitties are like something you could poke someone's eyes out with mm-hmm. um yeah i've seen those if i could send those out to every one of the listeners i would i've looked into it i kid you not but because every city state county whatever have different rules yeah i can't gift you what would technically may be a weapon so <laughs> I am telling but you. buy your own. If you can buy your own, please do. I think they're really cool. Uh, Cece, who was here two episodes ago, she carries around a, uh, almost like a paracord that's like on a, like six, six inches of paracord. And at the bottom of it, there's a, a steel ball that's also wrapped in the paracord. So uh-huh. it looks pretty offensive, but it would cause some damage. It's on her keychain. Um, and she's offered to make us some too. Because I was like, that is just so cool. It's not something that would probably be confiscated 
anywhere. Like it's not a taser. It's not a, it's not brass knuckles. So it's just it, any, like I said, anything that you could do to help yourself yeah. is really, really helpful. Like I know there's apps out there that if you're walking by yourself, you could hold a button. And if for some reason you're, you let go for more than a certain amount of time, it like tracks your location and mm-hmm. it'll tell your friends where you're at. Have you seen the new bracelets too? Oh my God. I want one so bad. They look like like legit, like they're gold or silver. Oh, or my like God. St- they're beautiful. Yes. I thought about getting one for my cousin. You can press a button on them, and it will send a phone call to your phone that's like yes. a recorded phone call. So if you're in a, like an awkward situation yes. and you don't want to pull out your phone, you can like fake a phone call to your yep. phone that forces you to answer it. Just and it will also like send yeah. like an SOS message. Mm-hmm. It'll send your location to like your, your emergency And they're very contacts. stylish. They're not... You know, bulky things. They don't look like a Fitbit or anything. They're like bangles and they look amazing. Yeah. They're like spy gear, but for the modern girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. We need more things like that. Brilliant idea. Anything else true crime related other than us um, telling you how to stay safe and beware so. of strangers? That's it. Okay. Cool. Then I'll get started. So, today, I am going to be telling you about the Circleville Letter Writer. It's also known as the Circleville Letter. Circleville is a town, a really small town in Ohio. Okay. This is a mystery. We don't know who done it, but I'm going to try and tell you all the information that I have found to see if we can figure out who done it. We probably won't, but we'll probably end up with some good theories. So, Circleville Letters, uh, the mystery around these started in the summer of 1976. Really small town. Before all of this happened, before Circleville uh, and these letters started happening, the town, the really small town, was really known for its pumpkin decorating competitions and just how wholesome like their water tower is painted like a pumpkin so that's how super small town vibes super small town so in the summer of 1976 seemingly out of nowhere people started receiving letters in the mail these letters were all postmarked in columbus ohio which is about a 30 minute drive from circleville ohio one specific family started getting more letters than others. But at the beginning, it was just the woman that was getting these letters. Her name was Mary Gillespie. And Mary, at the summer of 1976, received a letter that had no signature, no return address. It was all written in capitalized block letters Hmm. from Postmark from Columbus, Ohio. And it was telling her blackmailing her from the first second saying i know you're having an affair with the superintendent of the west falls school district mr gordon massey said stay away from massey don't lie when questioned about knowing him i know where you live i've been observing your house and know you are you have children this is no joke Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. That was a first letter. Sheesh. Was she having an affair? So we'll get okay, there. Okay, sorry. Not, she says that not at this point. So okay. the letter prompted it? So, <laughs> kind of. Okay. 
So she gets this letter and she says, well, this is a, you know, this is baloney and this is not something that's true. It doesn't pertain to me. I don't know who's writing this letter. So she just kind of stashes it away. She receives a second letter and it says something along the lines of, it's been two weeks now and you haven't done anything about it. If you don't do anything about this, I will post this on CB radios. I will post posters up and I will tell the news stations and put up billboards. Wow. So they go from zero. I mean, they were already like, okay, maybe not zero to 90, but they go from like 30 to 90. (laughs) (laughs) So she just stashed these two letters because she was just like, this isn't true. This doesn't, you know, they're not, why are they writing me these letters? They're not true. I'm not having an affair. She tried to hide these letters. So then the writer wrote a letter to her husband, addressed it to her husband, Ron. So this letter that says, we must inform you that your wife is, says we, we must inform you that your wife is having an affair with Mr. Massey. She has chased him until he caught her. Eliminate them both before they eliminate you. Remember, we know where you work and know your red and white truck. No one can help you. Think of your children and their future. Call the school board and report the truth after you finish your investigation. Notify the school board immediately. Again, your life is in danger. Those are, that's the letter that Ron gets. This would be so bothersome to out of, receive. Out of, right. Yeah. Especially with Mary saying, I'm not having an affair. Right. So then Ron comes up to her and I'm sure he's like, what is this letter about? You know, it says that you're having an affair. And she's like, well, I got these letters too. And I didn't even show you because I know that they're not true. So what they do is that they, at this point, they continue getting like small letters and postcards. And so Ron and Mary Gillespie bring over... Ron's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul Freshour. So the Freshours, they bring him to, they bring them into the picture. They bring them over and they lay out the letters and they're like, oh my God, look what we're going through, right? We're getting all these letters. They're blackmailing us to do something, but we, we have no idea why they would want us to do this, why they're saying that there's an affair happening. Mary's still denying everything. And then, so Paul and Karen, along with Mary and Ron, the foursome together sit down and they're like, well, you know, we have our suspicions of who this might be. Uh Okay. They're thinking, Mary, they're starting brainstorming, like who could be writing these letters? And Mary thinks, well, maybe it was David Longberry, who was a fellow bus driver. Sorry, I failed to mention that. She is a bus driver for the school district. Okay. So there is a connection between her and the superintendent to some extent, right? But okay. I don't know how often the bus drivers and the superintendent of the district see each other. But they have the same employer. Exactly. Okay. But Mary says, maybe it's David Longberry. He made a pass at me once. I rejected him because I am a happily married woman. Yeah. And I think he might still be mad and have some anger towards that. So maybe he's trying to make up the slide to like just make my life hell, et cetera, et cetera. And then they, they also, one of the letters had, was signed by a letter W. So as they're brainstorming, obviously that's not the initials of David Longberry, but just along the same lines of brainstorming, they thought maybe 
it's Gordon Massey's son, William. Okay. That might be writing these letters. Maybe he thought there was something between Mary and his dad, and he was, you know, writing these letters to have them end the affair. So, all in all, we don't know who else they suspected. They put together about five letters asking whoever it is to stop. Okay. They just kind of send out a mass letter chain, kind of like, but they pretend they put, they, you know, they're bluffing and they're like, we know who you are. Please stop. This is not true. Mm -hmm. But they're sending the same letter to all these people who they think might be it. These letters kind of stop briefly, but then they pick up again. In August, uh, August 19th, 1977, I'm sure Ron was pissed his cup was probably full and wondering why the hell is someone doing this to our family and it escalated from letters to a phone call yeah so mary wasn't home ron was at home with the children it was nighttime he gets a phone call and what it seems like is that he might have recognized the voice on the phone Hmm. but he told his children i'm ending this right now he grabs his gun his 25 caliber gun. Yeah. Jumps in his red and white truck. Oh no. Because on the phone call, it seems like someone told him, I'm watching you. Like I'm watching your house. Okay. So he was thinking it was probably someone in the area. Yeah. That was close enough on the to property. see your house. Yeah. Right. Because you've got to remember this is 1977 where there is no technology. There's as far as like there is now like cameras that you could spy on someone or cell phones that you could send someone a picture. So if you're going to blackmail someone or just troll someone, you're going to be doing it the old school way, which is calling their house phone. And well, basically he was scaring the shit out of him. Yeah. Within a couple blocks of his home, unfortunately, Ron had a car accident and he was found with a 0.16 blood alcohol level. The gun was missing a bullet. The bullet was nowhere to be found in the cabin. There was no holes there. Do they even know that he put a bullet in the chamber? Well, the magazine was full, Mm. but it was just one bullet less than it would have been full. Okay. So there was just a bullet missing. Yeah. But... I don't know if there was forensics advanced enough to know if there would have been gunshot like, residue, gunshot residue. Like that, and yeah. I don't think that they tested for that. I The only thing I can imagine is that they would have either smelled or not smelled yeah. gunpowder. So was he dead? And they didn't, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. He passed away. He was DOA. And the family, the kids, the kids are testing that. Dad wasn't visibly drunk when he left the house and mind you the accident was within minutes but he was double the legal limit at 0.16 right but at the same time if he was angry enough the only thing i can think of is that you know the anger kind of masked drunk symptoms to the kids it's almost like he sobered up almost enough to the kids not to think but by everyone that knows him, everyone says that he was not an alcoholic and that he didn't drink hard anyway. Yeah. So they don't know where the alcohol level came from like that. Interesting. 
So the gun and the bullet that was missing, like I said, there was no bullet holes inside the, the cabin of the truck. There was no gunshot to himself. Yeah. And we can kind of go into the theories of like, what happened there? Yeah. The first time I heard the story, I was like, well, he must have been shooting to someone outside. And he veered off the road. Yeah, I could Kind see of that. thing. Yeah. Um, or someone else was in a car kind of played chicken with him yeah. and he tried shooting out the window, but the gun was on his right side. So on the innermost part of the car, yeah. instead of like by the driver's side door or anything. So yeah, he couldn't um, have. Isn't that odd? It's very odd. Right. The only thing I can think of is that it was already missing a bullet when he right. left the house. And that's the other, that's another theory that it was, that when he took it, it was already missing a bullet. Yeah. That it's not that it was shot that night. Um, and that if he had been drinking, you know, we all know that most accidents happen within one or two mile radius of your home because that's when you are the most comfortable. Those are, that's the, the area that you can almost, don't try this, but you can drive it blind because you almost know by heart where yeah. you're turning and your body just gets so comfortable. And if he's so comfortable and he's intoxicated, although people don't know how he got intoxicated, those two factors, because he's so close to home, um, ended up badly that night. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Ron passes away. Like I said, dead on arrival. And they rule it an accident. Okay. They don't think there's any foul play. Right. Uh, unfortunately, the car goes to the crushers two or three days later. I say that, unfortunately, because there's no real evidence that a shell casing was actually searched for since he himself wasn't shot i don't think that there was any shell casings that i mean it could have been under the seat it could have been a number of places um but the car because it had been involved in what it was involved in had been sent to the crushers immediately within three days and they couldn't find that evidence even if they wanted to and then during this time paul and karen so mary's brother and sister-in-law are going through a troubling divorce. Mm-hmm. The letters aren't stopping for Mary. Mary has Karen move in to her property on a small house, like a trailer on her property, while her and Paul are, are working out their divorce, working through that. At that point, that's when Mary admits to having an affair with the superintendent. Sure. But... Sure. She says that it didn't start until after the letter started coming in. Well, I don't believe that. No if one you, believes that. No, because you would never give them a reason to think they'd been right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this brought them together. That's her story. Lies. Lies. So this is Mary's. This is what Mary is saying that she didn't start having the affair with the superintendent until after the letters. <laughs> She, uh, that's her story, and she's sticking to it. Baloney. So, between 1976, when these letters started, to 1977, the letters in total were 39 letters to her. That's a lot of harassment. That is a lot. And a total of 103 postcards, not to Mary specifically, but over a thousand letters were sent to people in the town. Not about Mary, 
but about other indiscretions and about things they might have known about them. Oh my God, it's like Lady Whistledown, but like... This is awful. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were just like, I'm mad about the political corruption that's going on in this town, that the Radcliffe, Radcliffe family, because they're like a generational sheriff time kind of family, yeah. they had been the sheriffs in this town for six generations at this point. They're just mad about that. And some of the letters contained ar- arsenic. Yeah. So it just escalated, right? Because that's, at that point, I think, attempted murder. I would um, say so. So I'm going to tell you something fun. Fun fact about Paul. Just a little history on Paul Freshour. So they're going through the divorce and he has a pension because he used to be a prison guard at the Ohio State Penitentiary back in 1968 Mm -hmm. where they had a a 30-hour hostage situation with him being held as hostage. Oh, wow. I love a good, like, I... It's fine. That was so, very interesting. I've covered a prison hostage. That's situation. when I wrote this down. I was like, "Ooh, maybe I'll have her go back and dig up that one." Yeah. <laughs> the Ohio State Penitentiary, but he was held hostage for thirty hours. All other prison guards were as well. Yeah. Um. And now, currently, during while this is happening, he's working at the Anheuser Busch factory. They were going through this divorce. He, you know, Karen had gone and lived on the property with Mary. And he was getting the kids, he was getting his pension, didn't have to share with her. He um, was getting the property, so he was getting the good end of the divorce deal on this, right? He got full custody of the kids. And then, (laughs) while Karen is living with Mary, she approaches Mary and she's like, you know what? I think Paul's the one that's been writing these letters the whole time. She's bad-mouthing her soon-to-be ex-husband with what end in mind, I don't know. But we can come back and touch on that. Okay. So on February 7th, 1983, so this is towards the end of at least Mary's ordeal with this. She is on her bus route. Yeah. On her bus route, she sees a sign. Something about, we don't know the specifics of it but threatening her 12-year-old daughter. A sign? Yes. Remember that the beginning, they had threatened to, like, put signs up to... Yeah. I guess, reveal the truth about everything. Yeah. But in this case, they were, like, attacking her daughter in some way. So she stopped her bus. Yeah. I don't know, and I couldn't figure out, based on my research, whether or not she had children on the bus, but I think she did because she was. it was early in the morning. She stopped her bus mid-route. She got down to rip off the sign. And as she ripped down the sign, she realized there was a string attached to it. She followed the string, and it was attached to a box. She grabbed the box. Oh, no. No, 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 no. She brought it onto the bus with her. No. She made it home. And then she says that she gingerly opened the box. And there was a gun affixed in styrofoam booby-trapped, ready to shoot at, like, chest level from where it had been sitting. So, she sits on it for a couple hours and then takes it to the police station. There's so many problems with this. (laughs) This is her story. She takes it to the police station. The police station, or the police, immediately identify that the serial number is 
like haphazardly scratched off. Yeah. Not a really good job if you're trying to like not identify this gun. Right. So much so that they're able to put the serial number together. The it's gun, Mary's gun. No, it's Paul's. Her brother-in-law's. Oh. They start z- zoning in on Paul. They're like, Paul, this is your gun. Why was it in a booby trap? So Paul's like, yeah, that's. it looks like my gun, but I have it in my garage and it was stolen. That's what he says. Yeah. He had never made a report for it being stolen. Always report it. Always report a gun if it's stolen, guys. Um, or keep it locked. Somewhere um, just passed a law now that you have to report a stolen gun within so many hours of discovering that it's been stolen. Oh, good. I remember where that was. Yeah. Within 10 minutes of it being gone, you That's should report your first a stolen call. gun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's like, no, my gun's been stolen. And then, so he walks in with the cops and he goes to the spot where his gun would normally be. And he's like, see, it's gone. Why would you say it's stolen? You would say, yeah, it's here. And then walk up with the cops and be like, oh shit, it's gone. Anyway, that's just my story. And that's a story I would have stuck with. So they brought, they brought him in on attempted murder charges. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it's his gun. Okay. Point blank period. He had never reported stolen. They think they have case closed. Like, that's why you reported. You might not have written the letters, but that's definitely your gun. Yeah. Right? So they they brought him on, on attempted murder charges. And then his boss testified that he had the he took the day off on February 7th. Mm-hmm. But he did have other alibis of where he was. But just the fact that he had taken the day off looked really bad or kind yeah. of just a little shady. And they did something that is reminiscent to me of um, making a murderer. Yeah. So when they, before they actually like press the charges and whatnot, (sighs) this is so stupid. (laughs) The cops sat him down with the notes, samples of the notes next to him and said, duplicate this. That was their handwriting analysis. And the fact that he was able to copy it so well... They're like, it must have been you. That's not, no, that's not how that works at all. Right. I'd be um, literally like, here, trace this. Oh, exactly. he's guilty. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. I don't know why he did that. Yeah. I don't know why you would do that. Call a lawyer. Yes. Anything. The deliberation on his trial took a whole two and a half hours. He was we, found guilty. He was found guilty. Wow. And sentenced to 25 years. Oh my gosh. For attempted murder with a gun. Through the time in jail, the letters didn't stop. Of course they didn't. He started getting letters in jail. And he's a good <laughs> two hours away from the ta- from town because he's in prison. Yeah. And they're postmarked Circleville and Columbus, Ohio. So they're being sent from these two towns. And people that are receiving letters, they're postmarked Columbus and Circleville. So they're not coming from the town that the jail is in. Yeah. And then even to the point where the cop, the, the police, or sorry, the, the prison guards were putting him in isolation to see what would happen. And even while he was in isolation for extended periods of time... The letters continued. That's messed up. The poor guy had to suffer in isolation because... Because the letters kept coming. So one of the letters that he got 
sorry, this is so hard to read because it's such crappy handwriting. But one of the letters that he got while he was in jail read this. Fresh hour. Now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago. When we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. No one. <gasps> the joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this. Oh Letter. my gosh. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? The person who wrote the letter framed him. Oh my goodness. And, and they're did writing it so him well. And, they're and writing... taunting him in prison. Yeah. So eventually, um, he was let out in 1994. At that point, he'd still served like... Oh, he served a good chunk of it. Yeah. He was let out and he wrote a 176 page letter to the FBI saying, you need to look at all this. I was framed. There was an attempted murder, allegedly. Possibly Ron's murder, too. If you don't see it as yeah. a accident. And then, you know, there's all these people getting letters that are defamation and some contain arsenic. Harassment. Yeah. And then he thinks, these are, these are uh, you know, Paul's thoughts, that there is a conspiracy of cover-up by the Radcliffe sheriffs. <laughs> okay. Just that they couldn't catch who it was. They pinned it on someone just trying to make it seem like they've solved something and that they're doing good for the community. And yeah. so they kept them there because they really had no one else that they could pin it on. But they're like, this is all a conspiracy. It wasn't me. It was never me. Um, you need to look at this. Like, <laughs> this is like FBI material. So he wrote this 176 page letter to the FBI that contained like all the transcripts from the court and you know, all the testimonies from people that, you know, probably wouldn't testify now, but he's like, here, FBI, have it all on a silver platter. Look at it. No one ever looked at it. He even had a page that was going on a website um, until his death in 2012. Some stuff that was never looked at was that uh, another bus driver once told Mary, like, I was on that same route on you on the same day, like on the earlier part of the day. Yeah. And I saw... Where you found that sign with the booby trap, a yellow El Camino park there with a man standing outside of it. And when the bus was coming up, he turned around with his back to the bus and pretended like he was peeing mm -hmm. because he obviously didn't want me to see him. But it had the description of this man that would have had like light ashy hair is what she said, like you know, blondish hair, had no, like, the description did not match Paul at all. So, that would have been evidence that would have been important in trial, but Mary never brought, or, yeah, Mary never brought it up to anyone for Aye. them to investigate. For David Longberry, the fellow bus driver, yeah, he got himself into some, some stuff. He raped an 11-year-old girl. Okay. Oh, that's not a stand-up citizen at all. In the living room while her grandparents were in another room. Oh. And I don't... It just said... What I read was when the grandparents, like, confronted him about it, or the granddad confronted him about it, about the little girl. Um, 
he like literally ran him out of town and like he never saw him again. The letter still continued, but they were still being postmarked like Columbus and, and Circleville. Um, and eventually he committed suicide by hanging. Uh-huh. But the letter still continued. So it wasn't him. So it probably wasn't him. Um, there's also another theory out there that there could have been multiple writers that different people were trying to get out different agendas. Mm. So here's why. Because the first part is the affair between Mary and Gordon. If that were true, and if it was signed W, mm. and if it was Gordon's son, William... Mm-hmm. that's a possibility. A son is trying to get his dad to stop trying to have an affair. Mm-hmm. And then maybe at some point, Karen saw it as an opportunity to get Paul in trouble, almost putting Mary's life on the line. Yeah. So that she can get the kids, the pension, all the benefits that he was getting. The house, because as soon as he was jailed, yeah, she got everything. Interesting. And she was living with Mary. Mm-hmm. So the theory is that probably Karen got Paul's gun. We don't even know other than Mary saying, I stopped and got this sign and I got this booby trap box. If it then was that's ever what really happened. there. If it ever left the house to begin with. Interesting. So one of the theories is that they conspired together to help Karen out and get her kids back the house, the pension from him being a prison guard. Yeah. And then the third one was the David Longberry. But those are just some of the theories that of the mystery that has befallen on Circleville. That's bananas. Isn't that crazy? And the fact that nobody's ever really looked into it further. Right. Well, some people have. There well, was... I mean, like the FBI or oh, like right, right, a right. full investigation. It's you just know... <laughs> weird. Who did look into it? And I love them for this um, because this is my, uh, my guilty pleasure is watching old Unsolved Mysteries. So <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries, the show. Yeah. They ran a show on this. Mm-hmm. As they were investigating, doing all the reenactments, I'm sure, I'm sure Buzz got around town that they were doing a research case on this, all these things. They themselves got a postcard. (gasps) Yeah. This is crazy. This is what the postcard reads. In the same style of of writing, which is these block letters, Mm -hmm. it says, forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay. Signed, the Circleville Rider. It's interesting that they're so protective of the the sheriff. Yeah. Right? Hmm. And then there's the interesting... Okay, this is me totally reading into it. This is too much reading into it. Okay. It's on yellow paper. Yeah. And... It's a, it calls them El Sicos. Like El Camino? Yeah. And it's yellow? Yeah, you're definitely reading into this too much. Okay, yeah. okay. But I like El Sicos. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's just interesting that if there is cover-up going on that, 
you know, these, it's not completely unheard of. Yeah. Blue runs deep. And if they're covering for each other or something's happening. Um, That's so weird. That Did they just pin it on someone just to try and say case closed and that's it? That's it. That's all we know. Maybe. Yeah. That's so weird. I know. I want to know who did it. That's who a good one. It? That's a good one. So the Circleville letters. All right. Yeah. If you have any mysteries, stories, um, encounters that you want us to research, read for you, please reach out to us on our Instagram. At a stranger danger podcast. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Stranger Danger, colon, a true crime podcast, or the group Stranger Danger, colon, murder lovers. You can also send us an email, a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to get a shout out on our Patreon, you can go over to patreon.com or download the app and search for Stranger Danger Podcast. Speaking of, we have a couple of shout outs. So we want to shout out our two latest newest Patreons. Welcome to the Murder Lovers group. It is Judy. Hey, Judy. Hey, Judy. Hey. I also think Judy with a booty every time I see Judy. <laughs> Sorry, Judy. She probably loves that. <laughs> I know Judy. So, Judy, you can tell me if you hate it or not. But um, And one of my favorite people in the world, Aunt Tammy. Love Thanks. you. Thank you, Aunt Tammy. It's not $500 a month, I promise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> also, um... If you haven't done so already, we'd really appreciate a review. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. You guys have a good night or day wherever you are. Bye. Bye-bye.